0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Cooper, Director of Claims London Limited, a financial complaints specialist. Paul, Hello. Hello. Well, thank you for making time to come on the program today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Well, it means running something. Uh, I've had the strange idea of starting a little business which compensated people for bad investment advice. Oh, it must be more than 20 years ago, about 25 years ago, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And as I examined the sort of things uh, financial advisors, banks, and building societies did in order to persuade people to throw a lot of money into their investments, I discovered an awful lot of bad things were done. Do you so th- na- naturally, I-, I went on, examined them, asked for all the documents, and in most cases, I won people compensation for what they had lost.
0: Do you feel that this is a problem that's just becoming more and more exacerbated, uh, exacerbated with the coming years?
1: I think it probably is getting worse, yes.
0: What do you think I, government could do to regulate this issue?
1: I don't know. I think it's really the um, the industry itself which needs to regulate itself. Uh, The Financial Conduct Authority does a certain amount. I don't think they do enough. Um, Occasionally you see the names of big companies in the news who are being punished for bad practices. Um, But enough isn't done. People are still being cheated.
0: Let's go back to your personal leadership style. How would you describe it?
1: Well, my leadership style is really a thorough investigation, uh, hiring um, intelligent staff, a lot of younger and older people. I train them in what they have to look for. I show them the pattern of how one investigates all the facts and lodges a complaint, uh, and they learn. So that's my leadership. I, I train people to see what's wrong with a complaint and whether we can win it. Uh, quite often, we find that the claim is time-barred because the customer knew what had happened and what was wrong with it a long time ago and did nothing. Um,
0: it's a it's a hard-working battle, but uh, we go on pretty well. So essentially, for you, it starts at recruitment? Yes. Let's go back well, to it's, the very... No, it's,
1: No, it started with me running complaints myself. No,
0: but the the success of leadership within your business, it starts with recruiting the right people. Absolutely, yes. Let's go back to the beginning of your career, when you first started out your working life. Were there any Mm. particular people that you worked for who really molded the way that you lead today?
1: No. What happened was strange. I started... Uh, writing a column in a magazine uh, pointing out things which were wrong about bad investment practices. And one day a man I'd like to give uh, a thousand pounds to uh, rang me up and said, Paul, I like your column very much, but don't you think you should do something to help the people who've lost money rather than just criticize the companies which have done the bad advice. Mm -hmm. I thought, that's a good idea. And at that point, I changed my work completely. Instead of criticizing companies in a magazine, the next case I took on was for a lady in Exeter. She'd invested 20,000 pounds and lost a lot of it. And so I signed an agreement with her that I would do a lot of work, and if I won her a lot of money, she would pay me uh, a share of it. It went very well. We won her a large chunk. She was delighted. I was delighted.
0: Well, it sounds like there was where the uh, the light bulb went on. Uh, if you're part yeah. of the expression, um, <laughs> another uh, issue with running a business and being a leader in business, of course, is dealing with people. Uh, and people don't always have perfect days. They're they're not always at their best, or maybe they're not performing the way you'd like them to. How do you resolve conflict within the workplace?
1: Well, um, I have directors who are very experienced and work with me. And um, I don't think they make mistakes, but the more junior staff who are running complaints very efficiently, If they make mistakes, um, the three of us have a hard look. Uh, We analyze what's wrong. We train them what they shouldn't have done. And it goes from there. What
0: would your advice be to a young person just starting out on their career? Maybe they've just left secondary school or uh, graduated from university. What words of wisdom would you have to those people?
1: Well, they've got to... Study the subject in some detail, they've got to learn all the ins and outs, uh, how one lodges a complaint, uh, how one gets all the information in first, writing to the company and getting their point of sale papers so that we can see what the salesman said to the customer. Uh, I've just done a case in which uh, the salesman said all sorts of misleading things about a product. Halifax sold called a bonus bond. Uh, he didn't tell um, the two people who, there no, it was a lady who accepted his advice, didn't tell her that um, the bonus bond consisted of a strange product which had gone downhill rather sharply in the last two years, and she obviously shouldn't have put her money into it. But all these things need research, and sometimes it's quite hard to drag out of the companies the details. We spent a lot of time trying to discover exactly what was in the bonus bond and an underlying fund, a clerical medical with profits fund. We eventually, after getting no replies to about five letters, got a very honest reply. And from there, it was victory.
0: Now, quite unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, I'd like to ask two further questions. Firstly, if you had to identify objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be?
1: The greatest leader? Yes. Ah. <laughs> oh. Prime Ministers, I suppose. Uh, I'm not sure that I'll put Boris Johnson in that category yet. Uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill, uh, I, I was born in, when was it, 1943. Uh, I think Winston Churchill was certainly one of the finest leaders we've had.
0: Of course, and uh, that drive and the ability to communicate ideas is absolutely essential and can obviously benefit the world of business as well. And finally, uh, before you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Claims London Limited?
1: Uh, I think we just go on uh, expanding our business and winning people money. That's the whole purpose. And in a sense, uh, I hope it'll help to clean up the industry um but who can tell the important thing is to make sure that people who have been cheated or given inappropriate advice get proper compensation
0: well paul it's
1: and I mean, the, the omb- i should say the ombudsman service is very good in these cases if if a case gets rejected we take it to the ombudsman service we sometimes have a lot of arguments with the ombudsman service but we usually win our cases
0: well, Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and your industry. Uh, I very much uh, hope that we can speak again at some point in the future. Paul, thank you.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
0: That was Paul Cooper, Director of Claims London Limited. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary, David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts
3: on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, Are they in in the stands watching, or are they on the pitch, playing. And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past and she could reach out to people that others can't so I'm, I'm giving her my backing I think Keir is very professional mm. very able and presents extremely well and I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism especially from
2: uh, four, uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years, certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalent is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of... Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power Of the big tech companies which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies certainly. And sp- speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in Government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean,
3: uh, it's on the theme of bottom up it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who in really really difficult circumstances were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn to if you like lighting a candle inside them uh, giving them a, a a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take. We, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't
3: function completely i call it civil society which functions even when government isn't functioning it's what it's the glue that holds things together it's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other i've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein i was very fortunate to have met nelson mandela three times uh i met Bill clinton a number of times both of whom in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the authority that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh,
2: And I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them.
3: Yes, it is. And if people recognise that, and they have a clear idea themselves. They, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, are, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complimentary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, Mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that... um, Football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know, you're know, you a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and
3: Sheffield United every week after. No, week. I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. It's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the. City internationally if you're not just because it's Sheffield United but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience you're immediately beamed across the world so that's good I I could cry sometimes we can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton we can beat Leeds at Leeds I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January, And then you can, lose 5-0 at <laughs> home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would
2: a manager of Blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive an incentive to take hold of the game what what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and uh, there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her... One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs.
3: Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new Mm -hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm-hmm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, mm. for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a
2: doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also I should add that is how these uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't and there? And try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> at the, um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people... But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for leadership, where
3: do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the The second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both Sharp minds around you, in my case it was special advisors as, as well as ministers, I pretty well picked my ministers sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference mm. but in in the end you've got to like what you're doing i mean the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're you just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm-hmm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also I had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the leadership council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform. It will avoid people reinventing the wheel. It will take people a lot further than the the niche for good or ill. The niche that they're in at the moment,
2: um, David. The very in uh, a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where
3: will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December two thousand and nineteen uh, and that that's got to be Lisa nandi or or kia on on the um the, the next few months. I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world Sheffield Wednesday God help me I mean you know how is it that two of the things that are most important to me other than my family and loved ones is football and, and politics I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard pressed now to get into the playoffs if we do I think we could pull it off but I am really reluctant And I think on that prediction,
2: your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you,
3: Jonathan.
0: (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast.
2: Thank you for celebrating excellence
0: and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland